care what you heard. Don't care what you heard. I'm taking it all because I want the world. Yeah, I want the world. Yeah, I want the world. All right, what is going on, everybody? Today on my podcast, Unleashed, we have another episode uh, with a good friend of mine that I've been wanting to talk to you for a while now. So I'm excited to have you on. Uh, Mark, would you like to introduce yourself? Likewise, man. I'm happy to be here. Uh, I'm going to tell you what, man. Uh, it's been a long time coming. I've been following your stuff for a super long time. I, I, <laughs> whenever we get talking on, on Facebook, I always think to myself, man, you know, I absolutely love where you come from, what you say, how you say it, your perspective. So super happy to be here, man. Thank you for having me on the show. My name is Mark Anthony King. Let's make this interesting. I am a student of life. I'm a philanthropist. I am a crazy artist. And I am a Bibinka enthusiast. Filipinos will know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Is that where you were <laughs> born from exactly? Or, or where were you No, born? no, no. I'm just, um, I'm just a lover, lover of uh, the Asian culture. But I'm actually Cuban. Italian by way of Sicily and African. Oh, wow. That's very interesting. Okay. All right. So, so what's your story, man? Like, um, I obviously followed you, you know, just like you said, you yeah. followed me and you have a very interesting, unique perspective. You, you state your mind. Uh, yeah. You have a lot of things that you're doing and working towards for, uh, you know, mm-hmm. the good of humanity in general. Um, so what was it, what's your story? What's it like? And how did you get into everything that you're doing now? You know, we always have, um, we have these, these defining moments in life. And, you know, we, al- we always hear that when somebody dies, like a highlight reel, right, of our, of our life, of our decisions, of our experience kind of plays. And, man, I once heard that the good that we do is the rent that we pay for the space that we take up in the world, you know, and that kind of blew my mind. And it's something that I've, I've, I've carried with me um, since I heard it, but you want to talk about, talk about how it all started. So again, I want to, I want to preface what I'm about to say with um, the fact that everything in life is, is perception. So I'm going to share my story, right? And, and I would hope that my vulnerability allows people to express their story as authentically as possible. I just want to let people know that when we express ourselves truthfully and authentically, not from our ego, not from our pain, right? Because a lot of people who've been through, through trauma, and I'm speaking from, from my personal experience, you know, having been physically abused, uh, emotionally abused, and sexually abused. A lot of the time, when we, when we just get it out initially, we're coming from a space of pain, or we're coming from a space of anger, or wanting vindication. But when we come from a space of, of being not just, not even healed, but the desire for our pain to help spare somebody or help somebody navigate through their own pain, mm-hmm. that's when things shift. So I want people to understand that when you do express yourself and when you do finally come forth and and bear your soul's truth, you're going to be met with opposition. 
But remember, like you've heard a thousand times, before every breakthrough comes a breakdown. And you're going to be attacked. And I'm going to take it to God right now. The attacks on your life when you decide to live authentically, live powerfully, live truthfully, live passionately, and live in congruency with what you say and what you do. The attacks that come as a result of that, because they will come guaranteed, have nothing to do with who you are now, but with who you're meant to become. So my philosophy is the greater the attacks on your life thus far, it's not because you don't have self-worth. It's not because you don't have value. It's because you have so much value. It's because your potential to create an impact and to catalyze change. And I'm not talking the fake change that you can buy on a course for $47 on a Facebook ad. I'm talking the change that only God can create, right? That change, man, the attacks come because you have the capacity to be that spark that can light the fire within somebody else. So from the beginning, you know, uh, I was born in 1989 on the right side of town. <laughs> I was born in a very opulent, very, very well-to-do side of town. Uh, not because my family comes from money or anything, but just happened that my mother went into labor while she was close by. So I got to hang out in, in the nice part of town. And then when my mom got discharged, we got to go back to the hood. <laughs> So, you know, in, in that, in that respect, I'm grateful for that because even though I couldn't, I couldn't comprehend it uh, intellectually because I was a child, I was, I was a newborn. I got a lesson in economics. I got a lesson in the ebb and the flow of life. I got a lesson in, in the irrefutable truth that nothing is permanent, that in life we have high points. And for me, my high point was being born in a, you know, very wealthy, very opulent part of town. And then we have the ebb and the flow. So I had to go back to the, you know, the, the bad part of town where, where it's, it's so south that people don't even want to, you know, really drive by there. <laughs> you know? yeah. So, you know, early on in my life, I got, I got labeled as, um, as having uh, attention deficit disorder, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, disorder. Uh, social anxiety. Uh, I got diagnosed as being on the autism spectrum. I got diagnosed as having uh, epilepsy, even though uh, I actually was an interesting story. I wasn't actually having seizures, but I would space out because of my other conditions that they were under the impression that I was having silent seizures. So they wanted to medicate me for that. And, you know, by the time I was like seven years old, I had had more CAT scans and MRIs trying to find something wrong in my brain than I can imagine. Mm -hmm. You know, by six years old, uh, I'd gotten uh, sexually abused by an older man. By eight years old or nine years old, I was sexually abused by an older woman put in a, in a, in a program in elementary, in sorry, middle school called Students at Risk Program, which is like a halfway house, you know, between juvenile detention center and school where they take the worst of the worst kids who are on the verge of, of expulsion and being sent to juvie and they think, okay, let's, 
let's put them here instead so we can rehabilitate them and hopefully turn them into productive members of society. Well, uh, interesting story. I was actually supposed to be put in gifted because I tested for gifted all day. And um, some, some very low down, unscrupulous things happened in that school. And because of money and because of funding, I should say not losing funding, they needed to funnel more students into the students at risk program. So I was like the defining factor between either that program being defunded and then the school losing out on money and, and government grants and stuff or getting that money. So it was put Mark in gifted and that program gets screwed or put Mark in that program and get the money. And, you know, we live in a world where it's very much fixated and, and hyper-focused on on money so they put me in that program but you know that's something i'm so grateful for because i got to i got to experience at the time right because you know when you're a kid your world is your school mm-hmm. we don't we don't necessarily have a really large perspective or a broad view so the fact that i got to be placed with the kids that society had deemed the worst of the worst, you know, every, every child with emotional behavioral anger issues were put into this class. You know, the kids that are always in the principal's office constantly were put here. So I got to develop a lot of compassion in, in that sense, because I got to see what it was like to be on the, on the other side. You know, they, they had a, they had a name. It it was SARP students at risk program. But the kids in school viewed us as kind of social pariahs. So they called it, SARP stood for stupid ass retarded people. And interestingly enough, you know, that wasn't just a joke that went around with, uh, with the students in the school. That was actually a joke that I heard a lot of teachers make. You know, derogatory uh, comments that teachers were making toward the students in, in that program. So... Uh, at the end of that, I was there for I was there for three years. I was there for sixth grade, seventh grade, and eighth grade. And at the end of eighth grade, I was so, you know, because th- this is an interesting it's an interesting class. So they don't necessarily help you work through your behavioral issues. They just kind of sit there and and they're just glorified. Um, most of them, anyway, glorified babysitters. So there were a few teachers that were brilliant. That to this day, I love that. I visited for several years, you know, after graduating middle school and high school. One of them is Mr. Jackson, Fred Jackson, math teacher. I absolutely love that man. To this day, one of the best professors I've ever had in my life. But, you know, the rest, it's, it's really, it's really, you're, you're dealing with, in essence, special needs kids, but you're not helping them to navigate their issues. The curriculum isn't tailored around that. It's just kind of like, you're sticking them in the same corral, having them fight and yell and, and scream obscenities. And I mean, that, that, that was an interesting, interesting program. Um, and I was, a lot of those kids had been, had been held back consistently. So I was always, you know, the youngest in, in the class of that, never been held back. So I remember being 11 years old and there were 13 and 14 year old kids. I remember being 13 years old and, and, there were kids in my class that were driving already 
because um, they had the restricted license and all that. So, uh, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of bullying that went on um, just because I was you know, the smallest, youngest person there. Um, but I, I just remember, you know, I, I saw a lot of like sexual harassment going on. I remember the, the girls in that class were constantly getting their, their breasts and their, their butt and even their vaginas groped by these, by these boys that I was in class with. And they would even do things like, um, you know, show their genitals at each other and, and all that. So it was a, it was an interesting three years that I spent there. But by the time that ninth grade rolls around, you know, psychologically with, with the abuse, um, as a, as a child and then three years in, in this, in this program, um, where, where the teachers pretty much tell you that you're never going to amount to anything that if, if you could find, not that there's anything wrong with being a janitor, you know, we all need to, we all need to make money. My, my grandfather was a janitor for 30 years, you know, so it's, it's something that, that, it's a profession I respect. And it's, if, if you earn your money honorably and legally, then there can be no judgment. Right. But, um, so when I say janitor, um, I'm not making, and it's not a figure of speech. I am quoting what our teachers used to say. They used to say, if we could be janitors, you know, after graduating high school, if we could find ourselves not in prison, you know, they'd consider themselves successful. Right that they did their job if they can just keep us out of prison or at, at the very least that we can become janitors. So three years of having people tell you that you're never going to amount to anything, that you're stupid, that you're unmotivated, that you're undisciplined, you know, it took its toll. And at the start of ninth grade, I was, uh, I gained 70 pounds between the start of eighth grade and the start of ninth grade. So I was at, uh, I forget if it was 225 or 230 pounds 51% body fat. I hadn't grown height-wise, so I was like 5'3 or 5'2 five, five, at the time. Um, you know, so I was, I was a big boy. And, you know, I didn't know how to relate to people. I didn't, I didn't know how to relate to myself. So because of all this, because of everything that, that I had uh, experienced in my life and, and all the things that I had gone um, unexpressed to, to my parents or to, to anybody that could listen, um, I became very, very depressed and I became lost in these negative, dark feelings. And I remember my, my saving grace, funny enough, is that day that I stabbed myself in the chest with a chef's knife uh, in a suicide attempt. And it's not because of me. It's not because of anything else. It was because of God's grace, man, that uh, that knife didn't didn't hit my heart and instead skipped off a rib. Um, I decided to change my life. You know, I took inventory of everything that was that was wrong with me, and and it was the first time where I stopped blaming. You know, where I st where I stopped being mad at that older man who molested me, or or mad at you know my my uncles who would hit us with a uh, weightlifting belts, or uh, my grandfather who would throw us on the floor and kick us, or you know, that woman who, who molested me when I was nine or being put in this program, you know, I, I stopped taking inventory of all the injustices of life and I accepted it for what it was. You know, I said, this is what happened. I can't do anything about it. I can't, I can't change the past, but I can change who I am from here on out and I can change how I relate to my world. So I just 
you know, I, as a kid, I mean, I remember being, being seven years old. Uh, my dad would listen to, to Les Brown in the car. He'd listen to um, uh, Jim Rohn, right? Because my dad was in sales, so he'd listen to Jim Rohn in the car. He'd listen to Kevin Trudeau in the car. And I remember thinking, man, you know, it was like 1996 or something, and, uh, or 95, and California Love had just come out, and I'd heard it at the skating rink. <laughs> I was like, man, like, why can't my dad put California Love on or, or whatever? Uh, I got to listen to these guys talking, but it made sense, you know? So I remember picking up those tapes that my dad would listen to, and I started listening to them. I picked up the books that he would read. I picked up Donald Trump's Art of the Deal. I picked up um, Awaken the Master, uh, The Giant Within. Um, I picked up, I picked up um, Les Brown's, you got, oh, I think it was You Gotta Be Hungry. I mm-hmm. think that's the name of the, of the book um, from the time, you know, I just, I picked up anything and everything that my dad had and he didn't have the CDs. He had the, the, the audio cassette tapes. So I was listening to these suckers through, through an old Walkman, you know, but, (laughs) (laughs) but feeding, you know, feeding, feeding my mind and, and fast forward, I I learned how to lose a weight and like anything else, you know, like I just said, the attacks on your life can come through the external, right? They can come through other people, but they can come from the inside. And it's, it's easy to spot attacks that come from the outside. It's easy to, to spot people throwing shade at us or, 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 you know, negative Facebook comments or whatever, but it's difficult to really understand that more often than not, the biggest critic, the biggest hater, the biggest person that's going to, to, to celebrate and, and fight for your failure is going to come from within. You know, that's, that's the one that we typically overlook and that's what we don't, we don't understand and comprehend. If you're unhealed, if you're in pain, if you have trauma that you haven't dealt with yet, and I'm not talking about accept, I'm talking about dealt with, you more likely than not have a massive self-destructive streak. And I can guarantee you, I can quantify that either in your finances, in your physique, in your relationship with yourself or in your relationships with your significant others and the way that you relate to the, you know, whatever, whatever uh, gender you're related to, I'm a heterosexual male. So for me, it, it totally manifested in the way that I related to the opposite sex. Mm-hmm. So that's a difficult thing to comprehend, you know, that, that internal self-destructive streak. So I just became cognizant and, and aware of that. And I did my best to, to navigate it. And the attacks came, right? Because I lost the weight. I lost the 70 pounds. I lost it the wrong way. I developed an eating disorder. I would binge eat. I had anorexia. I had bulimia for a bit. You know, and I was anorexic for about two years. I was bulimic for about three months, give or take, maybe. Um, and the only reason I didn't continue doing it is because every time I would try, I was, I, was, I was unsuccessful at vomiting out everything that I had just eaten. Only like a quarter would come out. So I was like, this isn't even worth it, you know? Mm. Um, but if, but better believe that if it had been effective, I would have definitely been, been I don't know, bulimic for a longer period of time. Mm-hmm. So those are internal attacks, right? The attacks of you were fat. That's, you know, the fat and, and closet eating and binge eating. That's one opposite end of the spectrum. But then like we oftentimes do, we think that the answer is the exact polar opposite end of the exact extreme, ex- extreme spectrum. So we were once very overweight, 
binge eating, closet eating, and now we're not eating at all. And we're exercising three, four hours a day and we're not eating at all. And we think that's the answer. You know, that's, that's to anybody who's doing that right now. And to anybody who's thinking about doing that, take it from me. That's a recipe for an eating disorder. And that's a recipe for being as unhealed and as, I don't think people are broken, but I felt broken at the time as broken as you were prior. So overcame that, got into, uh, got into runway modeling and commercial print modeling, got into acting and, you know, fell in love with it. I, I was able to do all those things in Los Angeles and in New York and Times Square and, you know, went to fashion week and had a blast there and, you know, got to, got to experience things that I never got to experience as a, as a fat kid, as an overweight kid. But then my life took a different turn. You know, I remember being 21 around there and I was watching an infomercial late at night one night and um, Tony Robbins's program. I, I want to say unlimited power is the name of it, but I'm not sure. I'm, I'm almost positive that I'm wrong, but it's, um, it's one of those programs. It's, it's one of his, it, it's a combination of three different programs. Uh, and it's about 21 days. And I remember on day 21, I was like, man, I could do this. I could do this for a living. I can still do this for a living. And at the time I was working in uh, the accounting department of this really, really big company. And I, I just, I quit. I was like, you know what? I can't, I can't keep doing like Tony says and, and horse trading my time and my life for a paycheck. Which I, would have been, which I would have been fine doing with at the time if the paycheck would have justified my misery. You know, because A, if, if, you're, if you're, to some people, right, if you're miserable and, at, you know, when that direct deposit comes in, if there's enough zeros behind that first number, you might, you might show up to work, you know, right. next Monday without a problem. Right. But for me, like how, much, that, how much are you willing to sell your soul for kind of thing? Absolutely. You know, and present day, I know that you feel the same way that that, that dollar amount is does not exist. But mm-hmm. at the time, for me, it was very true. And it, it, I, there was no way to justify it. So I quit, threw myself into personal development even more, uh, made money by, you know, because I've been studying nutrition for the longest, longest time. I've, I've been studying nutrition like a madman ever since I, I attempted suicide. So at about 15, I started reading everything I could get my hands on, every workout, nutrition, men's health, GQ, women's health, anything that had to do with nutrition and fitness, you know, I was, I was gobbling up. So I would, I, you know, I was making money, writing diets and stuff for people. And um, I just started taking, taking courses and certifications in, in neurolinguistic programming and in, um, health real, holistic health yeah real, real quick for anybody that doesn't know what uh neuro-linguistic programming is can you explain that uh it's hacking how to hack your brain for dummies basically <laughs> <laughs> it's um it's it's the art in which language in which physiology directly affects your mind Basically, it's, it's the same way that you can code a computer to do something. 
neurolinguistic programming is a method in which you can code your mind to do something. So, you know, that, that's something that, that I just, I found fascinating. And, and I'd, I'd heard about it through a program that my dad had by Jim Rohn. And then, but I didn't really pay too much attention to it because at the time, um, you know, Jim Rohn didn't turn me on. I just listened to it because I, I liked what he was saying, but you know how like we relate to certain people a little bit better. We connect to certain energies better. Uh, Jim Rohn didn't, I, I didn't connect with him, but then I heard I Tony, it. I heard Tony speak and I heard Tony mention NLP and I was like, Oh wow. Oh, Oh wow. So Tony helped Jim Rohn, who was what, you know, one of the fathers of NLP, uh, spread it across the nation and across the world. Okay, there must be something to this. So I took a certification course in that in holistic nutrition. I started studying therapy. I started studying Ericksonian therapy and Gestalt therapy. Um, I became a, a practitioner of NLP, master practitioner. I mean, I, I, can, I can keep go, going on with the certifications and stuff, but I mean, you know, it's just a quick way of saying I became obsessed with the mind I became obsessed with not just why we do as we you know do what we do as people but like why me personally mm -hmm. why would I say I wanted to do something and then an hour later find myself doing the exact same opposite I was like why am I so self-destructive self why am I so self-sabotaging you know NLP taught me to ask better questions and I'll get better answers <laughs> right <laughs> you know, so um, I, I hope that anybody listening right now, pick, you know, picked up on that nugget that I just said, ask better questions, get better answers, ask stupid, dumbass questions, you'll get equal answers, right? I think ex explain that one a little bit further, because that, that one is really good uh, for everybody listening. So for example, like you said, why am I fat? Yeah. That, that's, a that's kind of a terrible question. Uh, a better it question is. would be yeah. something like, what can I do to lose, you know, the weight that I need or, you know, like, something like that. Yeah. Ab absolutely. You know, and it's, and you know, you just said it, the, the brain, like if, if you, if, <laughs> if you understood, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take this back because the, the words of, of, a, of me, a, a mere mortal, whatever. I'm just like, I'm just a guy. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to quote the guy. We're going to go from a guy to the guy. All right. Right? All right. The book of Genesis said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Yes. It does not say God grabbed a hammer and a mallet and a chisel and a bunch of nails and with his hands built stuff. It does not. Right? <laughs> it does not say that. The Bible also says, in the beginning was the word and the word was good and the word was God. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I listened to those two things. In the beginning was the word and segue into Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth. If all that there is, is God and the word, that means that God did what? God spoke everything into creation. What did he say? Let there be light. Right. So if you had any idea, how truly powerful your words are, you'd be quiet 90% of the time. 
guaranteed until, un, un, until you took control of that unconscious voice, man, you would walk around with duct tape 90% of the time. Because we, under, we understand that the brain, the brain is a, is, a, is a really, you know, we like to think of ourselves as these complex, really deep things, but we're not. The brain is like, the brain hasn't changed much. The brain is this very rudimentary, very predictable thing. You know, our soul, our spirit, that's the wild card. But the brain, bro, we all, we all got the same Windows, whatever the hell version that we're running. We're all running the same OS operating system. So the brain takes everything literally. The brain doesn't know what the hell hypothetical and stuff means. Certainly not, not in the context of language. So whenever you ask a question or make a declarative statement, the brain answers it. Mm-hmm. Man, why am I so stupid? Well, I mean, you might not think that you're actually stupid, but then the brain, since you asked a question, is going to start pulling from the past. And well, you know what, Mark? Do you remember the time that um, you were walking backwards doing the moonwalk in, in, in third grade and you tripped over a doorstop and you fell on your butt and you actually farted when you fell and then everybody laughed at you? This <laughs> actually happened to me, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This legitimately happened to me. It's like, well, maybe that's why you're stupid because you monkey around like that. Or do you remember that time where, you know, you, you didn't study for a test, even though you had ample time and you consciously decided to not study just so you can cheat the next day, you got caught cheating and then you got suspended. That's pretty freaking stupid, right? So we ask questions and without our consent, our brain goes into our past into this big old filing cabinet, right? And it opens up the file that's labeled stupid shit I did. And it starts pulling it to justify and answer the question why you're stupid. Same thing like you just said, why am I fat? Well, um, you eat a lot, you're a pig, you know, you're (laughs) big boned, Um, you don't like exercising, people have been telling you you're fat your whole life, you have a genetic history of obesity, blah, 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 blah. you know, you, you really, this is what your brain does. So, you know, this is Wayne Dyer, again, um, one of, one of my great, 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 great mentors, may he rest in, may he rest in power, may he rest in peace and in paradise. And a big hello to uh, his daughters, Serena and Sky. So Wayne Dyer, in, in, a, in a program that I love called Divine Love, he said, God's name is I am. And I forget what verse of the Bible this is in, right? But it's, it's talking about how when we say I am, since we have, not that God's literal name is, is, is I am, but when we use the expression I am, since we are his children, right? We are not, we can't create physically like he can, right? I can't snap my fingers and, and have a, a ice cream sundae materialize in front of me, right? But I can, I can say the word ice cream sundae enough times around people that love me that if they love me, they might go get me an ice cream sundae. Mm-hmm. That is our power. That is the power that we have. That is our 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 version of let there be light, right? We can speak things into existence in, in interesting ways, not like God, but in our own way. So when we say I am, we are taking on an identity and we are becoming that thing energetically. So when, when I hear people say, I'm so stupid, you know, I'm, I'm the first one to, cur- I check everybody. I'm like, no, you're not. You might've done something stupid, but you are not stupid. Just like you aren't fat, 
fat is a fat is a thing fat is is it's it's a bunch of fat is a lipid it's a bunch of cells that are clustered together mm-hmm. you, you know you you can't you you can't be fat just like you can't be glasses <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah <laughs> as much as you might want to you can it's impossible you know so when we take conscious conscious control of the things that we say we take conscious control of our life um you know, I'm glad and- you actually said that too, because that's another powerful thing, right? Because I, I do the same thing as well. Like a lot of my, I, I am astounded by the amount of friends that I have that always yeah. say something like that, like, oh man, I'm stupid, or I'm just, I'm just always late, or that's just how I am. And it's like, I always, you know, do the same as you and I just correct them because it's like, every yeah. time you say that you are reconditioning, you're, you're deepening, you're um, putting that further and further into your subconscious, like making it a self-fulfilling prophecy type thing. Mm-hmm. Every time you say that. So just yeah. to reiterate, ask better quality questions to have a better quality life and be very cautious of what you say to yourself because your mind is always listening. Uh, your brain doesn't judge. Uh, whatever you tell it is exactly what's going to happen. And you're mm-hmm. going to create more more of that exactly. Yeah, boom. Tell, on. Them, tell them twice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and what you said is, is brilliant. And we can, we can even take it a little bit further because to the – to the person that needs that needs like empirical data right to the scientific mind because what we're saying could sound a little new agey right theoretically it could but when we take it to to neuroscience we actually can can measure the effects of thoughts, you know, that's something that we weren't able to do before, but we can actually map whether you're having constructive thoughts or destructive thoughts. Mm-hmm. We have that capability. So we can actually measure what goes on in your mind when you say something like, like that, like, oh, I'm just always later. I'm just always, you know, I'm stupid or I'm just unmotivated or whatever. We can actually see the brain start to access less resourceful areas versus when we when we flip that on its on its axis right let's just talk about duality the the opposite end of that which is you know i am punctual i am fit and i am incredibly motivated different parts of the brain turn on so it's not new age fluffy stuff this is these are things that science can back up these are things that are irrefutable and when you say something, you don't, you don't only affect your neurology, right? Because you, you say something enough times and the, the brain actually forms brand new neural connections. It looks like little hands and little fingers reaching out to each other and then grasping. That's what, that's what brand new neural connections look like. And a neural connection is basically you learning brand new things and the brain attempting to expedite the process of going from A to B. And the only way we do that is by forming these brand new neural connections. And the more you reinforce them and strengthen them by saying them, the quicker you can go from A to B. In other words, the quicker you can go from blissed to pissed if you do that enough times or vice versa from pissed to blissed. Is so, it important to make a distinction between like, let's say if you are like you're five, five and you're 300 pounds, like mm-hmm. massively overweight or something. Mm-hmm. Is it important to make a distinction between instead of saying like, I'm fit, I'm fit, 
um, you know, obviously you look in the mirror and you're like, okay, well, I'm not. Is it important to say that or is it more of something like, okay, I know where I am right now, but I'm not going to be here forever. I'm going to do what I can to work on getting to the body that I want to by doing A, B, C. So is, is it good to say, um, you get what I'm saying? Just like, is Absolutely. it good to say like, yeah. And I'm gonna I'm gonna answer your question with another question. Okay. If you and again, knock on wood, right? This is not going to happen. Um, but if 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 somebody were to get diagnosed with something and and you know it's it's not good news, mm-hmm. is it better to go the Western approach, go the Eastern approach, or a combination of the two? So you get the best of both worlds. I guess I would say combination, right? I would say so too, because one thing that Western medication, you know, Western medication might mess you up in a bunch of different ways, but if you are seconds away from dying, there is nothing holistic that will save you, but there are 10,000 things that are Western that will save you right. from the brink of death, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but once you, once you move past the brink of death and you're stable, then we want to go combine. What you just said is brilliant because we don't, you know, we don't want to delude ourselves. We, we get nothing. There is, there is no sense of power from lying about your, cir- uh, your current circumstances. It's like Tony and says, don't go into your garden and chant, there's no weeds, there's no weeds. You have to go and rip them out. Absolutely. So there's something to be said about self-awareness because, you know, an effective leader, an effective leader isn't bossy, isn't dominant, isn't aggressive. An effective leader has one one trait that they all share and that is they're able to be objective about how things are right now mm-hmm. they don't make them they don't blow them out of proportion they don't make them more dramatic and worse than they are and they don't pretend like you said there's no weeds there's no weeds there's no weeds they're like okay this is where we are for better or worse these are the irrefutable objective facts so we need to have self-awareness because if we don't know exactly where we are then we have no means of gauging where we're going. You know what I mean? It's like, if you want to figure out where the hell you're going to go, you, you can't turn your GPS on and start running. Right. You need to stop so the freaking satellites can find you, see where you are, and then show you where the, the most expeditious route to go from where you are to where you want to be is. Same thing. When we chant, there's no weeds, there's no weeds, you know, we're doing ourselves a disservice. And unfortunately, this is what a lot of these fake gurus and pseudo-spirituality, you know, namaste saying, prayer hands holding coaches like to do. And, Mm -hmm. And there's nothing worse than feeling good in the moment or trying to trick yourself into feeling good in the moment when things actually suck. Yeah. Cause that's called self-deception. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we need to be self-aware one, like you said, but two, just because we're self-aware doesn't mean that we have to stay where we are. Because again, if, if I'm self-aware and I think, okay, 300 pounds and I just stay in self-awareness, but I don't, I don't try to shift my perspective in terms of how I view myself or the situation. Then I just stay stuck in the facts. You know, when we change the Wayne Dyer says, when we change the way we look at things, the things that we look at change. I say it all the time. I say it in all my posts. I say it 
and everything that, that, that is my intellectual property. When you change your outlook, you change your outcome. So absolutely, I'm, I'm all for both. I'm, I'm for that, that objective, but very powerful, very courageous degree of self-awareness. And then I'm all for, you know what? Let me, let me start to change my, because just like we can mess up our neurology, we can actually improve it. Because if I say to myself enough times, and if I start behaving, like a fit person. And I'm, and I'm just, you know, like, like a kid, remember when he used to dress up and, 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 and play pretend and all that stuff. If I, every day I'm self-aware, but I step into that, that, that character of the fit person and I start not just walking like a fit person, but moving like a fit person and speaking like a fit person and making decisions like a fit person, especially when it comes to my exercise and my nutrition. Well, it's only a matter of time where I, I look at the things that I once liked and I think, you know what? No, a fit person wouldn't do this. A fit person wouldn't eat this. A fit person wouldn't behave this way. And if everything about my physiology and my psychology is that of a fit person, then it's only a matter of time before I become fit because the greatest driving force that we have as human beings isn't to, to, to fight, isn't to have intercourse, isn't to sleep, isn't to eat, drink, or to poop. It's to ensure that our external world is a perfect reflection of our identity and vice versa. So if we, if we fundamentally change our identity, then the external world has no choice but to change as a result of that. And this isn't hippy-dippy uh, new age bullcrap. This is quantum physics. You know, the, 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 the main principle, one of the, the most basic principles of quantum physics is if you look at a thing, just your intention changes the nature of the thing. Right. You know, so if we look at ourselves in a different way through self-awareness and through, through just true, true internal work, if we look at that aspect of ourselves in a different way, then this isn't hippy-dippy crap. Quantum physics dictates that it must change as a consequence of our intention. It's science. You know, but what is science if not a, a means of explaining and interpreting and understanding and quantifying the supernatural? That's some powerful stuff you just said, man. Like, just the act of observing something changes it, as you said. Oh yeah, and that's so. That's so you were going to go scientific. somewhere with that, yeah. And um, that was actually where I was going to go to next. Is I was going to ask how important yeah. is it to attach your own identity to yourself instead of letting your subconscious or unconscious patterns rule you? You know, from day to day, you repeat the same things over and over and over. You do the same things typically. You live in the same type of box every day. You know. Yeah. How how important is it to create that uh, own unique identity for yourself that empowers you instead of, uh, you know, just letting life throw at you, whatever it wants to throw at you. And, you know, whatever people want to say about yeah. you, you know, you internalize it. Maybe your parents, you know, said certain things to you when you're growing up and you internalize that and affected you when you yeah. were older. How important is all this, you know, together to changing oh, your life? It's, 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 it's the first step. And um, I'm, I'm going to tell you why, why it's the first step because Man, you know, what, what you just said was brilliant. 
and it's it's the everything you just said in terms of solidifying that identity uh, is a defining factor between living at cause or living at effect. Mm-hmm. You know, living living at effect is what you just said. All these all these labels and all these things and all these circumstances and situations and 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 moments of life that happen to you that you might not necessarily look back at with fondness that affected you in a, in a really, in a really deep and very hurtful way. If we stay there, that's what we become. You know, we're, we're seeds. And unfortunately we were victims. So we're about 18 years old, unfortunately, right. because you know, we, we live at the mercy of the people that take care of us and the people that um, surround us. We live at the mercy of, you know, and I really want people to understand this. And, and, and maybe, maybe just maybe you can look at your life and you can look at the people that hurt you with a little bit more compassion. Mm-hmm. Until we're 18, we basically live at the mercy of people who more likely than not have more trauma than we do and more likely than not had less resources at dealing with them than we did mm-hmm. as as little as 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 we might have had chances are right if every generation gets better statistically the generation that came before you had it worse right you know so that that in and of itself the fact that we're at the mercy of people who are who are more unhealed and more, more hurt and more in their trauma than we are. We can look at them a little bit differently and let go of some of the pain that we've been maybe harboring and some of the resentment and some of the blame that we've been placing. You know, that's, but, a, good, that's a good point because I, I'm amazed at the amount of people that I see, like the parents, uh, their parents alone is kind of like their parents didn't really work on themselves. They didn't deal with their mm-hmm. insecurities. They didn't deal with their traumas, their past, their issues. A lot of times they pass that down onto their children. Um, mm-hmm. They don't realize exactly everything that they're saying when they're speaking into that kid. Because everything that you are, you as a parent speak into your child, you are forming your their identity with every word that you say, whether destructive or positive. Mm-hmm. And I look around now at you know our generation. And I still see so many people, like, I know a lot of people, obviously, they love their parents, but I don't know many, uh, you know, people our age that feel like their parents instilled in them in that confidence, in that uh, intelligence of, like, knowing what to do, like, who they are, what their identity is, um, what route they need, you know, just they come out of high school and they're just like, okay, what do I do now? Where do I go? You know, it's kind of like they still try to figure out everything on their own. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's why, like, and, uh, when it comes, go ahead. Yeah. No, 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 no. Keep, keep going. I'm, I'm loving what you're saying. <laughs> um, that's why one of my things is I want to help parents learn how to raise their children. Not, not raise their children better, mm-hmm. but more of instill that what they need, what that child needs. You know, like you said, a seed to water mm-hmm. that seed for for its growth, for its potential. You know, look for gifts in that child mm-hmm. from an early age. Be like, okay, you're good at this. Let me put you in these programs. You're good. You're good at kicking a ball you're good at you know math you're good at whatever it is you're good at reading people let me put you in these type of programs that can help you because i know a lot of times also a lot of parents they have their own dreams their own expectations and they force that on the child whether the child really wants that for their life or not and they expect that child 
to live up to their parents' expectations instead of the parent realizing my my child is not me. My child is his own person and I need to, you know, yeah. help raise them up as best as I can to develop them, to help them grow, to help them be a healthy, successful adult. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, you know, that distinction. And again, it, it, I, I can't, I can't speak for, <clears throat> for your parents. I can only speak for, for my parents. You know, my mother had me when she was uh, 19. Uh, my dad was um, 21 at the time. And the parenting style nowadays is really interesting. And, and when you look at the way that, that a lot of children are, are turning out in terms of their, not just their values, but their insecurities and their, their behavior and their belief systems, it's, Parenting at, at one point took on a, a different tone, and that tone is, let me figure out what you're bad at, the areas that you lack in, and let me reinforce those gaps of those areas that you're bad at. Instead of, you know, what would happen if, if you focused the majority of, of your efforts on cultivating and nurturing talents versus filling, you know, gaps that you perceive are are present there. I think that that kids would be much different because inherently you grew you grow up focusing on your flaws. And that's something that carries with you, you know. Any person who calls themselves a perfectionist is because they grew up with parents that focused on the flaws. Yeah. And try and tried to cultivate them instead of maximizing your you know, you, you got, you got two options. You, you can put the majority of your focus on, on fixing your flaws or, or maxim your perceived flaws, right? Because those are perceptions at the end of the day or maximizing your gifts and talents. I mean, what would make the world better? You your tell talents. me, mm-hmm. you know, absolutely your talents and your gifts, but you know, back to, um, back to what you were saying. Um, that's incredibly important. And, you know, like I, like I said, that we live at the mercy of, of these people who are also unhealed. And throughout the course of our lives, they're saying two things to us. They're saying two things to us before we have a, a solidified, um, really defined identity. And they're saying, you are. They say that a lot to us growing up. You are. Or why do you have to be so? Mm-hmm. And basically, they're using their God-given power, the, their, their own I am, but to us. So when they tell a kid, you are, in their head, they're hearing I am. So they're making that declarative, biblical, powerful statement. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's really important to, again, breakdowns are good. Breakdowns are painful. Breakdowns are scary. You know, as somebody who's dealt with mental health issues their entire freaking lives, you know, I, I've been on, on antidepressants. I've been prescribed, you know, I've been prescribed antidepressants. I've been prescribed uh, muscle relaxers. I've been prescribed antipsychotics. I've been prescribed all these things. And, you know, all of that, a large part of it is that whole identity thing and Breakdowns are scary, like I said, they're painful because in essence, we're coming to the realization that the way that we perceived life to be, the way that we perceived others to be, and the way that we perceived ourselves uh, is wrong. You know, there's a, there's a great story called The Death of Ivan Illich written by Leo Tolstoy. And at the end of, of, of this, uh, you know, he's in, his, he's in his deathbed and he says, 
he's looking at his life and he's taking inventory of his actions and his experiences and everything. And he said, what if I did it wrong? What if I did it all wrong? And that's a breakdown. You're looking at everything that was your life and everything that was your identity and experience and thinking, what if I did it wrong? And it, and it, it all comes crashing down. But, you know, we can only work with what we've got. And if, if, if you're a, a standing solid structure, you, we can't, I can't work with that. We can't move that. We can't change that. If you want to build a different structure, AKA change yourself, change your life, heal yourself, right? Because you've, you've built a shelter. You've, you've built a structure around this pain, keeping it trapped inside. The only way to, to change that is to break it down. And, and, and with the rubble, rebuild that's all we can do you know so breakdowns are good and when we when we become 18 years old we need to have a breakdown we need to break down everything we were told everything we were taught our identity things that we thought were important and anywhere we placed value that wasn't justified and wasn't wasn't do the good stuff and the bad stuff mm -hmm. because that's that's a moment where we can say okay i've been living at and this isn't, this isn't a negative thing. This is everybody. Up until you're 18, for the most part, you know, unless you're special and, 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 and an outlier, um, and unless you have just this, you were born with this really strong sense of self and of, and of purpose, you've been living at cause. I'm sorry, you, you've, been, you've been living at the effect of life. You've been living at the effect of, of people's unresolved issues and people's projections and people's perceptions and people's preferences and, and all this stuff. But now you're an adult and now you have the choice to say, okay, I can take everything with me and I can continue living this way or I can break everything down so I can live at cause. So it's very important to have that sense of self, to have that sense of, of identity and to have that firmly, firmly rooted, firmly rooted, you know, and to do your best to live in integrity and to live in congruency, because this is again from personal experience, the biggest pain that I've ever experienced in my life is when I've defined myself as a very upright, as an honorable, as a just, as a righteous Christian man. Mm -hmm. And I have violated all those things, you know, as, as somebody who has been sexually violated, I can tell you that when we violate ourselves to that degree, it's infinitely worse. It's infinitely more painful. So we need to be so grounded in, in, in who we are and in, and in the truth of who we are, the essence of who we are, not from an ego perspective, but from a divine perspective, from a kingdom perspective of, of you know what? I am worthy. I am beautiful. I am loved. I am grace. I am I am light. I am, I am worthy of good things. You know, I am like, like Les Brown says, I am a masterpiece because I'm a piece of the master. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but that's the first step because at the end of the day, we come to understand as we get older, you know, I'm, I'm 31 now and I'm, I don't pretend like I have anything figured out, you know, cause it's just, <laughs> I'm living my own life and I'm, I'm making, you know, blessed to, to be doing what I'm doing, blessed to be, um, blessed to be coaching people and helping people navigate their experience and their existence. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not a consultant. I don't, unless God says it to me, I pull it out from you. 
you know, you have all the resources that you need trapped within your DNA. I just help bring that out. So I don't, I, you know, we're all trying to navigate our own lives and we're all, we're all doing our best to, to be the best that we can be and to, to do it as consistently as possible. But as somebody who turned 31 recently, I came to the understanding that, you know, there's a book called The Course in Miracles and the things contained in there are brilliant because what I call the A's of life, the things that we acquire, attain, achieve, and accrue, the four A's. Mm. A Course in Miracles calls it the trivial aspects of life, the degrees and the house and the jewelry and the cars and the accolades and the certifications and the vacations and the plaques and the trophies and all this stuff. It's all ego. It's all vanity. And once we, once we move past that, once we, once we firmly establish who we are, you know, and we build upon that, the next step beyond that is, wow, <laughs> we solidify our relationship with the almighty you know, and I'm a, I'm a big believer in the fact that God's plan for our lives is infinitely greater than anything we could ever plan for ourselves. And the ways in which God sees us as healthy as our self-esteem might be, God sees us in a way that we would never be able to see ourselves. And he loves us in a way that, that we will never be able to love ourselves. So if we can for a moment contemplate that truly and not just understand it intellectually, but I get emotional talking about this, you know, feel it in your heart, just how loved and how special and how unique and how beautiful you are, just how powerful you are, your, your potential to be a source of, of brilliance in the world. You realize that this identity that you had been creating wasn't the answer because it's what led you to this moment, to the truth of this moment. And that is that you are so much more than all that trivial stuff. That's that next step. So is it important to answer your question? Absolutely. It's, it's not only important, but it's crucial. It's necessary. But at the end of the day, it's not the destination. It's a stepping stone. And when we get tripped up is when we think, the identity is the destination because then we will never be greater than how we are and who we are right now. Great stuff right there, man. That, that alone is amazing. Everything that you just said. Um, oh, thank you, man. I appreciate it, brother. I did want to ask. Yeah. So, so with everything that we've talked about so far, mm-hmm. at what at what point did you consciously make that decision to say, hey, my life isn't the way that I wanted it to go so far, um, but I know there has to be something better to this than the life that I'm living now. Because yeah. I know a lot of people, including myself, I had to deal with this as well. Um, life just wasn't, I had, when I was 18, I remember I, I was obsessed with this question. It was, what there has to be something else more to life than just working at a job that you hate for 40 years 50 years whatever it is and then retiring and then dying without living mm-hmm. a fulfilling life so how can i find that and so that's when i started taking my own journey because i didn't really have that guidance of like um, hey you know do this if you want to achieve this kind of life you know learn about business learn how to do that learn how to you know do in yeah. you know 
become a healthy, successful adult. And I feel like a lot of people don't have that. And one of the main problems that I, I see often is a lot of people don't think that they can have that great life that they, you know, really yeah. want to have. A lot of them, they shut themselves down. They don't even try. Maybe they'll think about it, but they're like, oh, you know, that's not, you know, that's just not in the cards for me or something. So mm -hmm. I had to really sit down and, and this was, of course, after, you know, listening to, I got let, you know, obsessed with Les Brown. That was actually the first guy that I listened to. Yeah. That really, he like, man, he, he, put Papa so Les. Much, yeah, he put so much fire in me, like just hearing his speeches, mm -hmm. like I would just listen to him every single day. I would try to copy the way hungry. that he spoke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then uh, <laughs> from there, I went to like Tony Robbins and, you know, obviously all the, all the giants, Jim Rohn, Earl Nightingale. Yeah. Uh, all these Zig Ziglar, oh, all these boy, people. Yeah. Yes. Um, Brian Tracy was another good one for me as well. Oh, he's fantastic. And great voice too. Mm -hmm. um, but from Tony Robbins, it was something that he had said. He said he was on, uh, I believe it was on a train or something. I think it was, he was in Russia. I believe that's what it was. And um, he said that he like spent hours just like writing down, creating what type of life he wanted to have. You know, he said that's where he came up yeah. with some of his programs. And so I did that for myself too. I'm like, well, what kind of life do I really want to have? And this goes back to the yeah. importance of asking yourself the right questions, right? Yeah. It, it's what kind of life do I want to have? How do I want to talk to people? How do I want to communicate with people? How do I want to be seen? How do I want to dress? How much money specifically do I want to make? You know, just, just yeah. everything about, you know, your ideal perfect life. Not that it's not going to change, mm -hmm. you know, in two years, five years, whatever it is, you know, you may, we want to go back and readjust that. Mm -hmm. But that's what I did. And just taking small steps to get there, um, you know, it helps yeah. me out a ton in life. So is that something you did as well? Or at what point where you're like, okay, I've had enough of this life. I want something better for myself. Let me get to working on this. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That, that's, a, that's a brilliant question. Um, and, you know, I just want to say to, to anybody listening right now, I really hope that you took notes um, while he was just speaking because that's so important to do, you know, because we can't, we can't change, fix, or alter something that we don't measure, you know, and if you're going to buy a brand new TV, what's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to break out the measuring tape to see if the TV is going to fit where you want to put it, you know, or a new kitchen appliance. And we do that, we do that with material things, but we don't do that with our lives. And it almost, it almost doesn't make sense, you know, but we're not taught to. So for me, the, the, the biggest turning point in my life when I was like, you know what, nothing is working for you. You can't relate to people. You've got no friends. You don't like the way that you look. There's, you know, there's nothing about your life that you enjoy. Was I asked myself that after I attempted suicide, you know, I didn't attempt suicide because life was great. I attempted suicide because I was trying to escape everything that I was dealing with. Mm -hmm. So that's the first time that, that I asked myself that question, you know? And that's the first time that I actually took steps in terms of changing by listening to, to all these great people that you just listed, Kevin Trudeau, Les Brown, Earl Nightingale, Brian Tracy, Jim Rohn, Les Brown, Tony Robbins, you know? And uh, Zig Ziglar, and I would, I would study people, you know, I, I would, I would, I remember I would study, like, I always loved James Bond. Mm -hmm. I was, I would study James Bond because he just seemed so 
confident and so self-assured in, in all situations. So I was like, okay, let me adopt character traits of, of this person and of this person and of that person, you know, and I, I actually cultivated my personality because I mean, when you're, you know, what, one of the, one of the things that, that happens when you're on an autism spectrum is that you're, the way that you relate to people is kind of weird. It's kind of not this, not, it's, it's not common the way in which you relate to people and you, you can come across as, as distant as antisocial as all these things. So I thought, you know, I'm going to do my best to just by sheer willpower alone, rise above the diagnosis, right? Because like Les Brown says, doctors determine the diagnosis, but God's God determines the prognosis. So I was like, mm -hmm. you know what? I'm putting, this is, this is me and God. This isn't me and the quote experts at diagnosis. So that was the first time. More recently though, the last time I did that was when I took that, that uh, four long, four month long sabbatical from social media uh, very recently, you know, where, where the direction of my life uh, changed. And that's when, when I got all these, uh, all these amazing opportunities, you know, to, to write for these international magazines and to be a part of this, um, this incredible uh, organization. Um, that's when I, when I became a, a best-selling author. That's when all, all this, you know, stuff happened, but it was preceded by a, by a breakdown. And that breakdown was, you know, you've been living out of alignment in these, in these specific ways. And, you know, as, as great as, as life might have been, there are things that you need to fix. There are things that you need to heal. And if you take an honest look at yourself, it's going to happen. Unfortunately, I didn't need to take an honest look at myself. Somebody who, who I love to the moon, beyond the stars, around the solar system and back is actually the one that called me and basically said, Mark, you know, I love you. And yeah, your life is great. Yeah, you're doing this. Yeah, you're doing that. But you're out of alignment in these specific areas, you know. And if it, if it had been me a couple of years ago, the ego would have come out. You know, how, what? Who the fuck are you? How dare you talk to me like that? Right? That kind of egotistical, negative, um, standoffish response. But if we're at a point in our lives and we can be objective with ourselves and we, we can say, you know what? I'm willing to look at my life and I'm willing to look at my flaws and my shortcomings. And not only that, but I'm willing to, I'm willing to face all the things that I try to hide from people. Because as, as woke as you might be, as woke as he or she might be, and when I say he and she, I'm talking about all those gurus that are out there. Mm -hmm. There are things that they're hiding. There are ways in which they are not living in alignment. There are ways in which they're not in congruency with their message that they say on stage and the way that they live in their personal life, you know, but if I'm willing to face that and, and the pain and the fear that's going to come out of it, you know, I have a unique opportunity to change. And remember what I said, the attacks on your life have nothing to do with who you are right now, but for who God is intending on you to become. All of that pain 
is for a purpose. And the purpose is your purpose. I'm going to say that again. All your pain is for a purpose. And the purpose is discovering your purpose. So, you know, it's, it's, it's critical to just have the courage. You know, we, we, we live in a society where things like the hustle is glorified, but there's no courage in hustle. There's, there's not even, there doesn't even have to be self-awareness in, in hustle. There's just action in hustle. But at the end of the day, you know, can you be wealthy and be miserable? Can you be fit and be miserable? Yep. Can you attain everything? Can you have more money in the bank than you can count? Can you have more women in your DMs and, and, than you can please and, <laughs> and, you know, all this stuff and still be miserable? Yeah, of course you can. That's why celebrities commit suicide at such an alarming rate. Divorces. You know, divorces. Mm-hmm. All, all these things. You know, one, one of my, my biggest things that I do every day, right before I make a decision, whether it be big or small, you know, and that decision might be calling somebody. That decision might be reaching out to somebody for a business opportunity. That decision might be agreeing to write a chapter in a book in a collaborative project, you know. I always ask myself, am I making this decision from a healed space or from a hurt space? And I need to be brutally honest, you know, because when, when the single guy who's trying to get his life changed and is trying to, trying to, trying to, you know, maybe get a brand new job or, or just try to make his life better who's got a weakness for the wrong kinds of women, who he stayed, who he stayed away from for a couple of weeks, but now it's Saturday night and he's got no plans and he's lonely. He decides to pick up his phone to make a call. Man, stop and ask yourself, am I making this decision from a healed space or from a hurt space? Mm. And if you have to question it, if you can't answer it right away, then you know your answer. Yep. Put the phone down. You know, am I, am I going to go into business with this person because I'm coming from a healed space or a hurt space? Is it truly, truly in alignment with your plans and with God's plan? Or are you just being a clout chaser? Mm-hmm. If there's a conflict, it's because you know that you're full of crap. I'm glad you actually brought up the fake entrepreneur, fake guru, fake influencer, all that type of type of uh, people, because I think that's really a big problem today because there was something, um, are you familiar with T.D. Jakes? Mm-hmm. Okay. There's something he says. He says, um, if you're perfect, you don't inspire me. You intimidate me. How can I learn from someone who I can't relate to? So a lot of these yeah. influencers and gurus, they do want to paint like this amazing picture. Like I'm, I'm always working. I'm always, you know, successful. All I do is just think about, you know, whatever it is and all this stuff. But really, they, they really are just kind of trying to profit off of your insecurity, you know, like yeah. lose weight in this amount of time or gain this much money, you know, in this amount of time. If you follow me, it's basically saying, if you follow me, I'll give you what you want. But then, yeah, yeah I, I just... 
a lot of people, I feel like they don't take the time to really look inside themselves because they know something's missing, but maybe they don't, they don't know what. So they think maybe if I lose that, you know, that weight, maybe if I gain, you know, a, a massive ton of money, maybe if I can date that girl, maybe if whatever, but yeah. these are all external, external, uh, you know, topics, external situations. It has nothing to do mm -hmm. with the internal yeah. and re really that's, uh, that's where all the hard work, hard work is. It's all the internal. Yeah. I mean, it's, out there it's easy and mm -hmm. here's where it's difficult oh yeah because out there out there you can wear a mask for the world mm -hmm. you know now nowadays you know people say oh we all gotta wear masks and i'm like uh i'm pretty sure y'all have been wearing masks for years this is the second <laughs> mask that you're wearing you're wearing two masks now that's why it's uncomfortable that's why you can't breathe that's a good one you know you know and again it's not from judgment it's it's from from the truth. legitimate the truth it's from personal experience you know from what yeah. i've done from what i've done it's it's how i've messed up in my life mm -hmm. and you know it's and that that's why i asked myself that question am i coming if i'm making this decision am i coming from a healed space or from a hurt space and you know that if you're coming from it from a hurt space it's all ego you're, you're looking for attention, you're looking for accolades, you're looking for applause, you're looking for, for uh, validation. Mm -hmm. If it's coming from your heart space, you're looking to give or to improve. That's it. That's it. Those are the only two things the heart wants to do, give and improve. Why do people wear these masks, do you think? Obviously, some of it is part of some self-defense mechanism. Some of it is from their past, you know, like they've been hurt before. Like I see this especially in relationships. Yeah. They become more hard. They become more bitter. They become more resentful of the opposite mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever they're, whoever they're interested in. And they hold on to yeah. that and they overcompensate till they become like a lot more, you know, quote unquote, tough and like no one's going to hurt me again. And if you mess yeah. with me, like you're out of my life, that's it. And it's like, mm -hmm. not just that, but the mask of trying to act more happy than what we really are, trying to act more, yeah. you know, that we're more successful than what we really are, trying to act yeah. like we have more friends or more riches or whatever it is than, than what we really are. Why do people keep doing this? And I'll say, I'll say one thing before I get your answer. Yeah. You can tell when someone's doing this because they get really defensive when you bring it up. And it's mm -hmm. in that it's in that defensive when they're being like that. It's if you feel like you're getting defensive about something, a good thing instead of uh, you know attacking someone for you know for that uh, what they're saying is going internal and asking yourself, well, what is wrong with me right now? What is going on inside that I feel like I have to be defensive with you? What am I trying to hide? What what pain am I trying to um, you know conceal from everybody? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a, there's a great book called The Untethered Soul. And great, um, yeah, great book. it's incredible. Yeah, I think it's in, in chapter, somewhere in chapter, it's before chapter five. I want to say it's like chapter three or four. Mm -hmm. Where one of the questions that they ask is, what part of me is this situation disturbing? You know, what part of, what, what aspect of me is being disturbed by this? Yes. And that's, that's a brilliant question because A, you're not identifying as being that. It's just an aspect, you know, but you're absolutely right. If you, man, I don't care what happens. If, if, I, if I tell you that you're a squirrel, you're, you're not going to get defensive about it. 
mm-hmm. and try to convince me that you're not, you know, because you're a human being, you're not a squirrel. So it doesn't matter what I think, you, you know, you, you might not talk to me because I mean, you're, you're smart enough to not get into arguments with crazy people, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but you know, you're not going to become defensive and, and all of that that you just said, I can't, I can't speak for everybody. Right. And I, even if I could, I wouldn't want to, I'd, I'd rather let other people speak for themselves and I'd rather speak from my own personal experience as somebody, cause we've all done that. We've all pretended, you know, and I can tell you that when I've put on that, that wall, when I've put up that, that front, it's all been about, it's all been about one thing. And it's been about, there is a hurt little boy residing deep inside. And this has been my way of trying to put a Band-Aid on that hurt. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when we need to pretend that things are different than they actually are, you know, because this goes, this goes beyond self-deception. I'm not just trying to convince myself and lie to myself. I'm trying to lie to you also. Right. And, you know, you're a friend of mine. You're also somebody that I respect. So in my head, I could almost, I could almost justify lying to you because I would want you to look at me in a good light. I can almost justify that. Mm-hmm. But it's gone beyond that. I need to impress people that don't know me, that I don't know. Why? So then we start thinking. We're living inauthentic lives, lying, cheating, manipulating the truth so that we can be perceived a certain way by people who aren't going to add anything financial, emotional, physical, sexual, spiritual, or energetic to our lives. That is coming from a deeply unhealed place. That is coming from unresolved pain, unresolved trauma, and that is coming from slightly narcissistic traits. You know, you want to talk about self-awareness. A big part of self-awareness is knowing what your strengths are, but also knowing what your shortcomings are. You know, you want to understand why, if you're a man or a woman, and you want to understand why you get, you keep getting called selfish and you keep getting called all these, all these things. Go online and Google narcissistic personality index test and take that test. You know, you, you might just find out that you're a narcissist, but knowledge is power because if if you find out that, Hey, wow, I have these tendencies, I can become aware of them and I can change things. Right. Mm -hmm. So, when, when we need to put up the front and the facade, that's just coming from an un, unhealed place because we're not happy in our lives. And maybe, just maybe, if other people think that we're doing good, just for the moment, because we're, we're chasing that hit of dopamine, things don't seem so bad. Just for you the know, moment. Is it? Because here's something I think about. Social media has done, I feel like, has done a lot 
to help people, but it's also done a lot to harm people. Because Absolutely. I've noticed a lot of my generation, they do seem more actually antisocial now. Like I, I've heard the word anxiety thrown around so many times in this generation from so many of my friends that I know or people or whatever it is. So that's mm -hmm. one thing. And just the depth of relationship from the previous generation to ours, it's like it has gone down massively from yeah. like we, we used to know a lot more. We used to have more tighter friendships. Now it's kind of like we kind of spread that friendship out amongst 500 of our Facebook friends or whatever it is. Like that is so thin yeah. that we, we, have, we don't really get to know anybody anymore. Yeah. And obviously on top of that, people, you know, want to portray themselves on social media in the best possible light. So are we really creating a culture to where we can um, that actually inspires more personal growth or because honestly, I feel like it's more fixated just on money and just materialism and, you know, all things of that nature. So it's like I look around and I and it doesn't take me long to see why, you know, look at the look at the things that we glorify now, you know, the celebrities yeah. that we glorify, the heroes that we glorify. There was a good quote. I forgot who was by. It says, you'll know a country by the people that it glorifies by the heroes that it glorifies. Yeah. And so I see that now and I'm just like, well, no wonder everybody is the way that they are because of this exact reason. Look at who we look up to. Yeah. So. You know, I, I, I largely, I'd agree, but I live by, I live by a motto and uh, I'll share it. And that is just because it might be that way. Doesn't mean I have to be that way. Right. You know, at the end of the day, we have a choice. We have a choice what God we're going to serve. And we, you know, I'm, I'm not even being, being biblical right now. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about money, you know, because what is, what is, I'm, I'm not talking about God Almighty. I'm talking about the term God, right? God is something that you worship. Money is a God for sure. And people worship it. People kill each other for it. People yeah. sell their souls for it. Sex is a God. Drugs are a God. Popularity is a God. Relevancy is a God. What are you worshiping? What are you, what are you putting your time on. And I'm going to tell you exactly why anxiety is at such an all time high and why depression is at an all time high and why suicide is at an all time high. It's because we put all of our love, all of our time, all of our energy, all of our attention, all of our intention and all of our hope into things that could never love us or validate us back. Mm. Money won't ever tell you that it loves you. Won't ever hug you when you're sad or tell you that everything's going to be okay. Money won't ever tell you that it believes in your dreams or that your life is worth living. Neither will sex, neither will drugs, neither will alcohol, neither will popularity. Because if that were the case, Celebrities would live longer than everybody else and would be healthier than everybody else. So it's the fact that slowly we're putting all of our, we're, we're wasting our divinity, 
and our uniqueness, our gifts, and our talents on things that could not be more inconsequential. And on people that won't ever recognize us in the way that we want to be recognized or deserve to be recognized. Do you think also some And all of that, that comes from pain. Do you think also some of that is uh, resiliency? It's we do have it a lot better than our you know generation before us. We, you know we get things a lot faster than the generation before us. You know at the touch of a button, that we don't like. Like there's a, like the quote is the um, a smooth uh, what is it? A smooth sea never made for a skilled sailor or something like that. You know what I'm sailor. talking about? Yeah, yes. most most definitely. So I feel like we don't really put ourselves in those challenges that help, you know, strengthen us, to strengthen our mind, to uh, to build up resiliency mm-hmm. that when something even like small, a small problem comes, we start crumbling as, you know, in our generation, especially because I know some people now they have problems talking to people on the phone because they start feeling anxiety or, you know, thinking about going to work. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's crazy seeing it to this extent now because I've I've never seen that before up until you know just uh, even a few years ago. I think with the explosion, especially of social media. But yeah, yeah, hmm. it's um, <laughs> you know, we do we do live in a in a very convenient world, like you said, and we do have access to so many things, and at the same time. You know, it's like you said, a calm sea doesn't make for a strong sailor. Mm-hmm. We, we say things like, God, give me patience and give it to me now. <laughs> yeah. You know, we mm-hmm. say, Lord, give me strength, but protect me from anything bad ever, ever happening in my life. You know? <laughs> we say things like this and ultimately it doesn't, it doesn't make for, for a strong um, individual. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make for, it doesn't make for a strong individual. It doesn't make for a resilient individual because faith that goes untested shrinks. You know, I know that you like working out and, and you know, you look, you're, you're looking like a, like a GQ model these days. <laughs> what, hap- right. what happens when, when we start lifting and we get looking the way that we want and then we stop? What happens to those muscles? Go away. They go away because strength that goes untested falters. Love that goes unexpressed goes away. You know, we, we view challenges and obstacles as points of contention instead of opportunities to grow. And again, and I'm not saying this like as somebody who looks at every obstacle and I'm like, oh, this isn't an obstacle. This is a chance to grow. No, sometimes I, I still get freaking pissed off. You know, most of the time I still get scared. A lot of the times I have that little mini freak out before the resourceful part of me kicks in, you know. Yeah. But we can't, we can't ask for certain things and want certain things and not be willing to pay the price. Mm-hmm. I want money. I want X, Y, Z. Okay, well, are you willing to put the time required to achieve this specific goal? 
you know, because we, we go into things with, with a certain conception as to how difficult it's going to be. So we say, okay, I want to make $50,000 this month. And in our mind, even though we've never even come close to that, in our mind, somehow we, we, we have this idea of how difficult it's going to be. But more often than not, it's infinitely more difficult than we think it's going to be. So we go into something with this, with this preconception that, that comes from nowhere, with no basis, with no foundation, with no anecdotal data or evidence to corroborate or substantiate our claim. And then when it doesn't happen within our time frame, we quit. You know, yeah. so, so a, a, a big part of anything is just that, having that awareness of it's going to be harder and it's going to be, take longer than you think it's going to take and that you think it's going to be. And not, not um, buying into the whole narrative that problems and obstacles are bad and not buying into the whole narrative that likes and comments are going to make you like yourself or love yourself more. Or even it doesn't even prove that other people like you or love you because oftentimes you'll get a like from people that low-key hate you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, oftentimes the people, the people that drop likes on your, on your posts are low-key waiting for you to fail and mess up. Mm -hmm. And that this, isn't, this isn't me being cynical. This is something I've experienced, and I'm sure you've experienced this too, where, where the people that you never thought in a million years would, would behave this way, and somehow they do. Oh, yeah. A lot of you my know. best friends that I've known for years, five years, 10 years, whatever it is, like I don't talk to them anymore just because they were one of those people that you're talking about. Yeah. Your, your, your haters so and your biggest fans were one of the same. Yep. <laughs> yeah. You know? So, yeah, this this world of of social media you know it's so paradoxically hilariously beautiful <laughs> in that we've never been more connected as a species and we've never been more disconnected as a species and i'm generalizing right because i mean i don't know how long we've been on this on this uh conversation but i've, I've had a beautiful time you know we both um, went into our, our past, we opened up about, about things that have happened to us and stuff. And we're doing this with technology. So it's a double-edged sword. It, it allows me to speak to somebody who is in uh, the, the opposite coast that I'm in right now and have a beautiful time and exchange thoughts and energy and, and experience. But we're not doing it for the likes and we're not doing it for the validation. You know, I'm doing this because I like and respect you, plain and simple. Thank you, brother. You know, and, and, and maybe just maybe somebody can look at us having this conversation and get some value out of it and say, you know what? I'm willing to look at myself in the mirror and I'm willing to change. And I'm willing to, to contemplate myself in a way that I've never contemplated before and contemplate my life in a way that I haven't before. And not only that, I'm willing to look at those two things in a way that directly violates the, the, the common thought process of my peer group. Mm -hmm. And boom, so, before you know it, things are different. To wrap all this up, because I, I honestly, I yeah. could like sit here and talk to you for hours, man. 
Um, oh, same, same. But we, we both got to work out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm so, trying to look like you these days, man. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> uh, so good points that we touched on. Ask quality questions. Yeah. You know, get better answers. Um, take the time to go internal. And if you get defensive about something, find out why you're getting defensive about that and work to change that. You know, reveal what you're hiding and, you know, work on it. Uh, what else would you man, There's power in it. Yes. What else would you like to say yeah. to wrap it up? To wrap it up, I am going to say that wherever you might be right now in your life and on your journey, however difficult things might be, know that it's okay. I'm going to quote Wayne Dyer, who was quoting St. Germain, who said, if you knew who walked beside you, on this path that you have chosen, you can never experience things like fear. And if you really want to change your life, you can forget everything I've said, but just remember this one thing, spend more time on your knees and less time on your phone. Meaning spend more time praying and less time doing trivial pointless stuff Perfect. that's my story and i'm sticking to it <laughs> all right where can people find you because i believe you have uh three books you set out correct yes yes three books my fourth one uh will be coming out in a month you can find me on instagram mark anthony king on facebook and on lifemasterystrategist.com perfect mark it has been a pleasure likewise brother Thank you for coming on and uh, to Thank everybody you for else. Me. And to everybody else listening, take care, everybody. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Bye. Bye, guys. God bless.